The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's rise and worship the triune God. The Lord is near to all call who all call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who are in awe of him. He will hear their cry and save them. Amen. From Psalm 22, my praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our great God, we are here as your people, and you alone are worthy of our praise. You promise that the poor shall eat and be satisfied. We are a poor people, a people with many needs. And we are here because of our greatest need is to be forgiven by you, to praise you, to commune with you. And you feed us until we are satisfied. You promise that those who seek the Lord will find, and those who find you shall praise you. We can seek you because your son, Jesus, has sought after us and found us. And so we now praise you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And amen. amen. So our exhortations these days are focusing on the book of Proverbs. And last week, Solomon charged his son to fear the Lord. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So how do you fear the Lord? And one way you fear the Lord is to follow the Lord in obedience, to follow the Lord. Psalm 128 says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You fear the Lord when you follow the Lord, when you obey his commandments. And this relates to Solomon's first warning to his son in Proverbs 1, because it says, Do not follow after sinners because they lead you into disobedience. So try to spot which of the 10 commandments are being broken here. This is Proverbs 1:10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. So, if you follow after them, which commandment will be disobeyed? The sixth commandment, right? You shall not murder. What about this? We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us have one purse, right? So what about this one? I'd call this stealing the eighth commandment, and for good measure, throw in the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. Solomon charges his son, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. Do not follow them. So, do the people that you follow lead you to disobey God's commandments? And you can now not Oh, you can not only follow a guy not just down a dark alley, but you can follow a music 
artist. You can follow an Instagram personality. You can follow a YouTube gamer. And this crossover to our media life makes Solomon's warnings and applications so much more powerful. So, who do you follow on Spotify? Do their lyrics encourage you to honor and obey your mother and father? Do they spur you on to sexual, uh, to avoid sexual immorality? Right? And here's just a freebie. If a song is listed as explicit, guaranteed it will explicitly break one of God's commands. Right? On Instagram, does the clothing line or home decoration or tropical traveler you follow cause you to covet or be discontent? Are you following senseless violence on YouTube, one autoplay video after the next? My son, Solomon says, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path. Don't follow them. And a benefit of social media is that you can not only unfollow, right? You can delete. So delete the explicit song. Unsubscribe from that YouTube channel. Unfollow that Instagram feed that stumbles you, right? There was um, a feed that I wanted to have like majestic mountains or something like that on Instagram. I followed it. But the problem was that there was all these bikini-clad mountaineers that kept popping up in front of these mountains. Right, what do you do? Delete. Right? Unfollow. Drastic? Perhaps. But it is better to be without Instagram while following the Lord than to follow after sin and die. For Solomon warns that the path of sinners leads to death for all who follow after them. David gives a powerful and a precious promise in Psalm 32, 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Our Father, we acknowledge that we have not rightly feared you, and so have not followed you. Far too often we have followed after sinners, or we are the sinners that we have followed after, breaking your commandments. We have compartmentalized your wisdom, limiting to how we act in Christian settings. But we ignore your commandments when it comes to those we follow, we let influence, we meditate with, we hang out with in those few minutes, social media. We scoff or bristle if questions about our music the series we watch, the feeds we follow. We acknowledge our sins of pride and foolishness. Reveal now any sins we've tried to cover. We long for your forgiveness, and so we confess our individual sins to you now. And Selah. We ask all of this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And amen. amen. Please rise for the assurance of God's pardon. The psalmist goes on to say, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from my trouble. You shall surround me 
with songs of deliverance. Brothers and sisters, Christians, if you come here and if you, like David, have humbly acknowledged your sin, if you have confessed it, if you have laid it bare before the Lord, then the promise is that God will forgive you of all your sins. So if you confess your, confess your sins, humbly believing that promise, then as a minister of the gospel, I declare to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks be to God. The sermon text this morning is from 2 John. I'm going to read the whole book. It's 13 verses. These are the words of God. The elder, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace. Mercy and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we have received commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. But he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you, and amen. Let's pray. Father, there is nothing funny about hell or heretics or false teaching in the church. You see the destruction it causes, and you hate it. And so I ask that you would make us to hate it also with a holy hatred and with a love in our hearts for those who are lost and deceived. Help me now as I preach your word to my family. In Jesus' name, and amen. You may be seated. Well, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas in Moscow. Colorful lights are going up. Snow is falling intermittently. You ladies are baking and decorating and making things smell nice. How many of you have already gotten your Christmas tree? Okay. Now, how many of you uh, went to get your Christmas tree with family? Okay or close friends if, you, if your family's out of town. Well, Christmas time is supposed to be family time. 
Many of you will travel to be with family over the holidays. And there is something about Christmas that reminds us of our childhood, of, of home, of mom and dad's house. Or may, maybe if you're older, uh, the memory is of the grandkids or your kids coming over. And you kind of accumulate all of these emotional memories with each year that goes by. I remember uh, me and my sister, I don't know how old we were, but I remember staying up, uh, you know, on Christmas Eve. We, we could open one gift on Christmas Eve. I know some people open, like, all their gifts on Christmas Eve. I never understood that. But, my, my, no, it's, it's unnatural. Uh, but my sister and I, we would just stay up. And there was one year where I knew that Santa didn't exist, but somehow I got convinced again that maybe he did. Because I was get, I like, my parents did not make much money, but I was like, there's no way they could get me all this stuff. Where did, where did this money come from? Came from my, my grandparents. So I, I have a lot of sweet memories of, of Christmas. And I wonder if you have any family Christ, uh, Christmas traditions Maybe it's that you go get a tree together. Maybe it's a, a certain meal you share or an ugly sweater or Christmas socks, stockings you put on. We all have different traditions, but family is at the center of them. <clears throat> For some of you, though, Christmas is not a time of joy and hope and love and family. It is instead a time of fear, of anxiety, of financial strain, right? How am I going to pay for all of these gifts? It can be a time of loneliness. It can be a reminder of the people who are not there anymore, of the heartbreak of death. As someone with a divorced parents, Christmas to me is sometimes a sober reminder of how broken this world is. Something that once was no longer is. And one of the temptations during this season is to look at one another, to look at other people, their families, their warm homes, their holiday cocktail parties, and feel like you are on the outside looking in. No invitation for you. No one really cares. And you can have this endless loop running in your mind that says, you know, you're nothing. You're worthless. No one cares about you. But it is that despair, that sinful self-pity that Jesus came to save you from. More than family, Christmas is about Jesus breathing hope into a hopeless world, breath into a lifeless world corpse and maybe that's how some of you are feeling right now like a like a corpse with no life to it and you're waiting waiting for God to breathe new life into you so as I prayed about this sermon I get one advent sermon and I thought I want to talk about family I found myself in second John which is a letter all about family and in it, John identifies the great enemy of hope, the great enemy of our joy, the great heresy that stomps it out. So hence my sermon title, God Damn Ye Merry Heretics. Now, maybe that's a little humorous or provocative, but I, I mean it. 
God damn anyone who brings false teaching into his church to draw away people from Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, let him be damned, cursed, anathema. You don't love him, God damn you. This is Bible. This is Paul. He says in Galatians 1, if even we or an angel from heaven preach a different gospel from what we have preached to you, let him be damned, cursed, anathema. So when it comes to false teaching, the apostles do not mince words. And so um, this is going to be a hard word for you this morning. I'm just going to tell you that right now. But will you let me love you this way? Will you let me love you with the words of the apostles? God damn the merry heretics. God damn the smiling liars who attempt to murder people's souls in this community. God damn the pandering Christian thought leaders and bloggers who corrupt the minds of the unstable and naive. And then you have to go talk to Ty or Pastor Doug and get counseling because of all the lies that you have been fed. So I want to start perhaps a new family tradition amongst us. Shepherds shoot wolves to protect the family. And so let's consider we're going on a hunting trip together this morning, okay? I've never been hunting before. I know some of you have, but that's what we're going to do. So what I want to do is answer three questions that arise from 2 John. This text is in your bulletin. If you flip it over, there's three questions that I want to answer, and they are these. Number one, why does John give this warning to the elect lady? What's going on with that? Number two, what is the content of this heresy? What are these heretics teaching? And number three, how do we fight the spirit of Antichrist? That's where we're going. So number one. Why does John give this warning to the elect lady? This book begins with a really tender greeting from John. And John, to me, is the warmest of the apostles. I think of him like the grandfather of the church. He was Jesus' best friend during his earthly ministry. When Jesus is on the cross, he looks at John and says, John, take care of my mom. So you know he, he trusts him, right? Take care of your mom. And John was also the last of the apostles to die. He was an old man. And tradition has it that he was boiled alive, but survived, and then was exiled to the island of Patmos, which is where he received the book of Revelation. And so John was a man that knew the grief of loss. He had been with Jesus. He had been with those brothers, those apostles, and he watched all of them die. And he's left there all by himself, alone on an island. There's this song called Beloved uh, by this band, My Epic, and it's written from John's perspective. And one of the verses says this. He says, I watched all of my brothers become martyrs and die one at a time. But I often wonder if waiting for you is the harder sacrifice. And some of you know that sometimes waiting for Jesus is harder than death. It's hard to wait. 
you'd, you'd like to go and have your reward to see him face to face. And I think John was in this perpetual season of Advent, this perpetual waiting for Jesus to come. But all of those compounding losses in his life, the death of his closest friends, did not make John bitter. It made him a man of tender love and warmth. And so he begins this letter to the elect lady and her children, whom I love. I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who know the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Now, don't just hear Bible words there. This is what I mean by 2 John being a family letter. Look at all the people here. You have John. You have the elect lady. You have her children. This is a family. This is a home. You have the father. You have the son of the father. And then you have love and truth between them. And there is grace, mercy, and peace in this household. This is what a healthy home looks like. And he goes on in verse 4. This makes John happy. He says, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received a commandment from the Father. In every letter that John writes, what John cares about is his children walking in love, obeying his commandments. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. But this letter is unique in that it is the only letter in the New Testament addressed to a woman, to a lady, the elect lady. So why is that? Well, there's debate here, naturally, over whether this elect lady is an individual woman or she's representative of the whole church, right? You know elsewhere uh, the church is called the bride, bride of Christ, okay? Now, uh, regardless of which uh, interpretation you take, there is massive theological significance here to addressing this letter, this letter to the elect lady. And I think this is what is going on. John is treating this elect lady as a new Eve, as a new mother of the living. And think about Eve for a moment. What message would you have for Eve 2.0 to the church or to a woman? Well, think back to the first mother, the first Eve, and consider what was the big problem that she had. Genesis 3, it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We know the story. She eats. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. This is confirmed in the New Testament when Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. And so from the beginning, the woman has fallen into transgression through deception. While us men tend to sin with our eyes open. 
And if you are a parent or you're simply paying attention to how people work, you know that men and women sin very differently, right? In general, I think men sin like wild animals. We don't like someone. We fight them. It's pretty simple. (laughs) You know, I've never seen a woman streak at, like, a football game. But it's always the guys. Like, why? (laughs) We're wild animals. We're, We're beasts. Now, women, on the other hand, they tend to sin more like cunning serpents. Two ladies don't like each other, and, well, you gossip, you compare, you manipulate with spiteful subtlety. It's devious, and as a guy, it's kind of terrifying. (laughs) It makes us men think, I wish they would just get in a fist fight. (laughs) It would save a lot of time. (laughs) I'm not telling you to do that. And I'm speaking in generalities, okay? You guys got this. So there are sins that we tend towards dependent on the sex God made us. John knows this. Paul knows this. You guys should know this, right? And if 2 John starts with a family in sweet unity together and instructions are given to this elect lady, well, you should be able to anticipate what those instructions might be. Woman in a garden, look for the snake. Elect lady, look for the deceiver. That's exactly what we see in this next verse. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers, many serpents, have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. And then in verse 9, she says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. The reason why John writes this message to this elect lady is to keep her from being deceived and falling into transgression like the first Eve. He doesn't want a repeat of Genesis 3. And this is because God knew that one day in 2018, women would be reading and watching and listening to a whole lot of trash, a whole lot of garbage. And so here the Apostle John in verse 5, he says, And now I plead with you, lady. So ladies, will you let me plead with you for a moment? Will you please be discerning about the content you are consuming, about the books you're reading, the articles you're sharing and liking, the time you are spending on your phone, what podcasts and music you are listening to? Because right now, as far as female Christian content producers go, it's like 90% trash, maybe more. Okay, And I read somewhere that I think women, and as far as Christian publishing goes, they make up like 80% of the people who buy books. Okay, you, You're the ones who buy books. You think, oh, my husband should read this or my son should read this. Apparently, you're the ones who they're going after because you buy the books. You are the target, not us. We don't, we don't read books, men generally. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> So will you let me be uncomfortably practical with you for a moment? This is a list of names. I'm going to name names. People that you should outright avoid because they are heretics or to be at least very discerning about their content. I'm not saying everyone I'm about to name is a heretic, but you need to be discerning. And you don't need to write all these down. You can go listen to it afterwards if you're not sure. So ladies, 
No Jesus calling. No Sarah Young. Jesus is not your long-distance boyfriend who calls to cheer you up. No Beth Moore. Trash. No Joyce Meyer. Super trash. No Rachel Held Evans. Trash. No Rachel Hollis. No girl wash your face. Narcissistic. Trash. I I actually was going to listen to her audio book. See, this is the work I have to do. Listen to this stuff so I can tell you what not to read. But I I could not do it. (laughs) I'm nauseated. No liturgists podcast. Heretical trash. No Jen Hatmaker. Super trash. No one who calls themselves an egalitarian feminist. They're just trying to make you bitter and unhappy. Trash. No Anglican priestesses. Trash. Because do you even exegete 1 Timothy 2? No, it's trash. (laughs) No one who uses the word intersectionality or thinks gender is a social construct. Ignorant. Trash. Life is too short to waste your time imbibing the spirit of the age. Unless you think I'm just hating on progressives, there are people in our own reformed tradition that cannot be trusted. They say some trash too. And I'm going to give you an example from Kathy Keller. And I like Kathy for the most part. This is Tim Keller's wife. Here's a discernment quiz for you. Can you identify the problem? This is an excerpt from a recent article she wrote about church planting. I was in this church planting world for many years, and this is an article she recently wrote. Listen to her. Back when we had the missions committee, one of the guys in charge saw fit to write an article based on Psalm 2, 9 through 12. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise, therefore, O king. Serve the Lord with fear. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are they that put their trust in him. He went on to talk about Jesus trampling out the grapes of wrath, etc., etc. It was totally not the redeemer voice or philosophy of ministry. I have to say, I still regret the harshness with which I raked that young man over the coals. But even done tactfully, His blog could not be tolerated, not for a minute. It was just not our outward face to have that kind of believe or burn kind of attitude. Did you catch that? Kathy Keller thinks she knows better than God what the outward face of the church should be. Because she's contextualized. She knows what the unbelievers like. She's so relatable. Psalm 2, no, 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 no. Let's pick a a different passage. Because when you start making excuses about Psalm 2 or any part of God's word, you're just, you're done. You shouldn't be teaching anybody. And God commands, God commands you older women in the church, you wiser women in the church to teach the younger women. This is a command. And if you're going to do that, You need to know your Bible inside and out. You need to to know that there's a lot of trash out there that, that women are imbibing. And you must never, ever apologize for God's word. And I love you because you amen me like that. So to you women who are here being faithful, thank you. I want to commend you. Don't take this as a rebuke. Take this as encouragement. We are behind you. We need it now more than ever. 
So teach those around you to discern truth from deception and to see through the lies. Because if you do this, John says in verse 8, that you will receive a full reward. Listen to this. He says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Okay? So this is why John gives this warning to the elect lady. You have your sins, we have ours, and you need to be warned to not be deceived by people who are going to come and flatter you and lie to you all the way to hell. Got it? Okay. And if you need book recommends, we have plenty for you, okay? I can point you in the right direction. Come talk to us. All right, question number two. What was the content of this heresy in John's day? What are these heretics teaching? Well, we're told in verse 7 that these deceivers do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist, okay? Now, a lot of people associate antichrist with, like, revelation, end of the world, but the Antichrist is only found in two books in the Bible, and that's 1 John, and it's here in 2 John. It's nowhere in Revelation. And as interesting as we could make a talk about eschatology, that's another sermon. What I want you to see here is that an Antichrist is anyone who teaches that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh. These heretics are teaching that Christmas never happened. They are anti-Christmas. This is how you can remember what an antichrist is. They're anti the incarnation, anti-Christmas. They deny the incarnation. And there are many ways of trying to get around this doctrine. I'll give you a few examples. One, there's just outright atheism. God doesn't exist. Evolution's how we got here. Jesus never lived, and that's that. Or you have those people that say, yeah, Jesus was a man, but he was not God. You know, the Muslims say this. They say he was just a prophet like the rest of the prophets. He spoke for God, maybe, but, you know, the Bible's been changed over the years, so we can't really trust what it says about him anyway. That's a heresy. Or this last heresy, which is likely what uh, was more common in John's day, is that Jesus was an angel, or he didn't have a physical body. He came spiritually to rescue us from the material world. Matter bad, spiritual good. We love Jesus, but we love spirit Jesus. Yeah, that's a heresy. And in John's day, that was probably what, what they were saying. They would probably even deny the possibility that God could take on human flesh at all. And there's actually something to this, okay? Heresy is attractive for a reason. Heresy often comports with, you know, reason. Common sense. There's a reason why people are deceived. Because, I mean, think about your body. God became flesh. Now think about your body. Pretty much everything that comes out of you smells bad. And God is trying to tell you something with that. What's inside of you is disgusting. You need to be washed. You need to be baptized. Okay? So everything that comes out of you smells. You need to be cleaned up. You got a shower. Some of you multiple times a day. You need to brush your teeth. Kids, you need a floss. Cavities are coming. As you get older, your body breaks down. I have a pin in each of my knees from surgery, and I can feel when it gets cold. <laughs> I thought I was a young man, but I am not. <laughs> Hair starts growing in weird places when you get old. Okay? So your body, all right? 
there's something rather unsettling about being in this body of flesh. And then you die. So think about this. God became flesh. We are told in scripture that God, on the other hand, is pure. He is righteous and glorious. He is the self-existent one. He is immense, all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing, infinite, beyond comprehension, unchanging, everlasting, pure light, love, and altogether holy, holy, holy. For that God to take on human flesh is rather offensive. A body is just so below his glory, right? And yeah, that's, that's the point. This is the greatest act of humility that could ever take place. Creator enters his own creation. No one has come up with a story more grand than this. And we take this for granted, right? The ridiculousness of the incarnation. That's why I made you self-conscious, hopefully, about your body. God took on one of those. This is the highest miracle and mystery in the universe. And reasonable heretics want to deny this. So to summarize, what we take for granted today as Christians in the incarnation was something that would astonish and offend a lot of people in John's day. And when God does a miracle, when he does something marvelous, look to the right and look to the left because there will always be heretics, antichrists, ready to spin the narrative and feed you some alt gospel, some alternative gospel. And so we as a church... And us as preachers to you need to be on guard against this, to know both how to identify reasonable heresies and to demolish them. Paul says, take every thought captive. We tear down arguments that set themselves up against Jesus Christ. So how do we do this? So the third question, how do we fight the spirit of Antichrist? The spirit of Antichrist is... Anyone who denies that he has come in the flesh. And think about this. If you deny that, you are denying what we just saw with Sarah Beth getting baptized. You are denying that there is any forgiveness of sins in these waters. You deny the incarnation. You deny salvation. You deny the whole gospel. John says, if you don't have the son, you don't have the father. If you don't have the father, you are not in the family of God. And so John gives us three ways of fighting the spirit of Antichrist, of anti-Christmas. And the first is found in verse 9. John says this, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. And so the first thing you must do is then, well, abide in the doctrine of Christ. Live inside of this doctrine. This means to continue believing the apostolic teaching about who Jesus is. No funny business. No Jesus was a socialist garbage. Trash. More trash. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. 
We read it in the Chalcedonian Creed. Without confusion, division, without separation, and affirming these two natures are by no means taken away by the union, but is preserved in one person, one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys, this matters. Like, there's a lot of words in here. Subsistence, annulled. Like, there's a lot of words that are unfamiliar to us. But do you realize that your salvation hangs on the truth of the Chalcedonian Creed? If we got this wrong, we are of all most to be pitied. But if this is right, this is gospel to you. This should be gospel to you. Theology matters for your own soul. And if you abide in this doctrine, then you have both the Father and the Son. And that is your new family. God's family is the eye of the storm in which you can live inside. There is chaos around you. There's chaos right now. But if you're in the family of God, you're in the eye of the storm. And becoming a Christian means you got a new father. You have a new older brother in Jesus Christ. And then you have all of us. (laughs) Maybe you should be excited about that. What am I thinking? And this is cause for great hope. That's the first thing. Abide in Christ. Number two, John gives you something not to do. He says, don't greet them. Don't greet these false teachers. In verse 10, he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And I actually like the King James here. It says, neither bid him Godspeed. <laughs> For he that biddeth him Godspeed is a partaker of his evil deeds. And it rhymes. I like that. So this means have nothing to do with heretics. Don't say hi. Don't pour them a cup of hot cocoa. Turn them over to the elders, and we will warn and rebuke them. We are told in Titus 3.10, a man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, having nothing to do with them. You get two warnings, and then you're done. You're gone. And this is why I gave you a list of women teachers to avoid. Okay, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with them. And then the third thing he says is this. Don't let them in the house. Protect the family. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house. Don't let him in. So let me do some application here. If we're commanded to not allow false teachers into our homes... Why do we let them come in through the internet, through Netflix and shows and playlists and Pinterest and Instagram and YouTube? When you mindlessly consume worldliness, you are entertaining heretics. You are dancing with the spirit of Antichrist. So you can come here, confess the Chalcedonian Creed every week, amen, but if you are leaving the door open at home to all of this Trash, don't be surprised when the family starts falling apart. So shut them out. Turn it off. Purge the evil from your midst. This is how John tells the elect lady to fight heresy and to fight the spirit of Antichrist. This is because the gospel is at stake. 
The gospel is the good news that God became a man so that man could be saved. One of the early church fathers said, whatever has not been assumed has not been healed. Meaning, if God did not assume your smelly human nature, a reasonable soul and body, then none of us could be redeemed. The only reason God can forgive your sins right now, today, is because Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a life of perfect obedience and then offered himself up to God on behalf of his elect lady, you, the bride of Christ. And by his resurrection from the dead, you can be made right with God if only you will but believe. I'll close with this. If you are not a Christian today, or if you have been wandering, it's time to come home to the warm hearth of the family of God. Confess your sins to God. Own up. Confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. It's that simple. We'll baptize you right here. And for those of you who are already Christians, this is most of you, the gospel is for you too. All of us, including me, we all have a little heretic in our heart. We all got a little heretic that lies to us, denies the truth of who Jesus is, and he needs to be arrested. He needs to be strapped to a pile of wood and burned to death. Because if you don't, then you will burn in eternal flames. And those never go out. Hell is hot and forever is a long time. But the good news is this. God damned Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. So that heretics and deceivers and foolish men and women like us could be saved. So that we could have hope and joy and celebrate Christmas in the family of God together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. This table before us is a family table. This meal is a family meal. And like all families, we got issues, right? We have differences. But when we come here, God has told us to come wearing the same thing. And that is the robe of righteousness, the garment of Christ's perfection and holiness that has been imputed to us in our justification. This means that if God were to take a family photo of us right now, we would all be matching. Because if you have been forgiven, then God sees you and loves you as his own beloved son. This is why he sent Jesus, and this is why Jesus has come in the flesh. So that we could call God our Father. So we could sing that at the end of every sermon and enter his house every week to share this family meal with one another and with him. So come home and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this meal you have spread before us. Remind us of the common clothing we all wear, having been justified by faith in you. We ask all this in Jesus' name and amen. The charge is this, as the new year approaches, I want to encourage you to take inventory of the books and podcasts, all that stuff you're consuming, and to throw out the trash. And then come talk to us, ask around, ask the older women in the church, find something to read 
that is going to challenge you and mature you in your love for Jesus in 2019. There's still time to ask your beloved for good books for Christmas. Got it? All right. Receive now the benediction. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon and remain with you always. And amen.